the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From Chicago, it's That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years, an SNL podcast. And here's your host, Nick DiGilio. It is. That show hasn't been funny in years. An SNL podcast. It's episode number one. I am your host, Nick DiGilio. Uh I uh, am a pop culture guru, a film critic, uh, a radio uh, personality, and an SNL fanatic. Um, and I have watched SNL since the very, very beginning, October 11th, 1975, when your host was George Carlin. And I have been watching it since then. I was 10 years old. And the show basically sort of changed my life. And uh, I thought, hey, uh, I would love to do a podcast. So my thanks to Ed and everybody at Radio Misfits, the greatest podcast network in the world. My thanks uh, to Radio Misfits uh, for, for doing this. And my thanks to Jason Skaggs, by the way, who composed the original opening theme, and you will hear the original closing theme, uh, that are inspired by the music uh, that Howard Shore so brilliantly composed for uh, SNL many years ago. Well, I uh, have been an SNL junkie since the very beginning, as I've mentioned. Um, I have uh, had a career in comedy. Uh, I have written many comedic plays that I have either uh, directed and also acted in with the Factory Theater and other theater companies. I studied at Second City. I've performed on the stage at Second City. Uh, I have done stand-up. I have done sketch comedy. And all of it has come from my love of Saturday Night Live and um, all the people that were involved in the initial seasons of Saturday Night Live and the effect that it had on me uh, and my generation. SNL was a huge thing for my generation. Um, uh, you know, uh, you know, it had a huge impact on my generation because at that time when SNL started, you know, um, there were sketch, there were sketch, there, there were sketches and com- sketch comedy on television, but it was really pretty lame. Um, at that time when SNL premiered, the epitome of sketch comedy was represented by The Carol Burnett Show. And there's nothing wrong with The Carol Burnett Show. In fact, it's, it's pretty great and it's pretty brilliant. But it was pretty safe. And it was mainstream, primetime CBS Saturday night television that the whole family watched together. It wasn't edgy. It was inspired by the kind of sketch comedy that we as children of the 70s, had to sit through. And it was mostly on shitty variety shows. Because back in the 70s, everybody on Earth had a variety show, and 97% of them sucked ass. Uh, everybody gave variety shows to anybody and everybody who was walking down the street. You had your Sonny and Shares, You had your Donnie and Marie's. You had all kinds of variety shows. Every single, you know... Um, successful Vegas performer who appeared on the Jerry Lewis telethon at some point had their own variety show and they had comedy writers, some of which who would go on to do amazing things uh, in the seventies. I mean, David Letterman got his start writing on, on the, uh, 
the uh, the afternoon delight the, the the band who did afternoon delight uh, they had a, they had their own um the starlight vocal band they had their own variety show this is i'm not kidding in the 70s anybody with a heartbeat was given a stupid ass variety show they were given a stable of writers and they wrote really bad sketches the brady bunch comedy hour all of this stuff so that was the shit that we were exposed to the people around my age were exposed to and while i enjoyed carol burnett um, I remember hearing about this show, this late night show on Saturday night. Uh, and at that time it was called NBC's Saturday night so that it didn't conflict with the title of a show on ABC that Howard Cosell hosted called Saturday night live. And they had to wait a few seasons before they changed the title before Lauren Michaels changed the title from NBC's Saturday night, which it is the first two and a half seasons to Saturday night live. Uh, the catchphrase live from New York at Saturday night was always there. But the show didn't technically be called, it wasn't called Saturday Night Live until three seasons in, until about the third season, uh, because they were competing with Howard Cosell's show. But anyway, I'd heard about this show, and I was really interested in it, and I remember watching it the first night and seeing it, and it was unusual, um, and it was strange, and it was a breath of fresh air. And there was something about these cast members, these not-ready-for-primetime players that looked different than everybody else. They weren't as clean. They weren't as they were kind of, you know, grubby and they appeared to enjoy, you know, substances that would alter their minds uh, and things like that. They, they, they did not appear to be the flashy Bob Mackie costume wearing, you know, dipshits that you saw on variety shows doing stupid, lame, safe comedy. This was edgy. This was different. This was something that spoke to me even as a 10 year old. And that's why, you know, at that time, it just made a huge difference. And it burst onto the scene and changed it. And, you know, uh, about three quarters of the way through the season, people were like, what is this? And then it began getting a cult following. And then, as you know, it went on and on and on and became more famous. And the people from the first cast became superstars and so on and so forth. And it spawned, you know, a, sh a, a show that has now lived for 48 seasons. So it changed things. And, uh, and it had a huge impact on me and my friends around my age. So, yeah, after watching bad variety shows and even Laugh-In, you know, to a certain extent, Laugh-In uh, changed the face of sort of sketch comedy. But that show uh, was really dated and very specific. And if you go back and watch it, not very fucking funny. Laugh-In's not funny. It's horribly dated. Like, I mean, the jokes are not only lame and poorly written, but it's also like if it's, you know, if, if, if you are not in the mindset of 1967 or 68, um, none of the jokes are going to work. Um, but Laugh-In did break the door open a little bit, but SNL kicked the door wide open. And, you know, for those of us who were weaned on variety shows and Carol Burnett, that was the thing to watch. It was rebellious. The young people were watching it, and I loved it. So this show, this podcast, That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years. One, it's called That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years because I hate that sentence. I hate that sentence. And you know people who say it. Everybody you know at one point has said, why do you watch SNL? I can't believe you still watch that stupid show. It hasn't been funny in years. People who say the sentence, that show hasn't been funny in years, either are morons, which is probably the case, or they haven't watched the show and don't know what the hell they're talking about. And ultimately, it's people who don't know what the fuck they're talking about. People who say that show hasn't been funny in years, don't watch the show, don't understand it. The show has been exactly the same since 1975. It's been exactly the same. People walk in on a Monday morning with nothing, and uh, on Saturday night, they do a 90-minute live show. And you know what's going to happen between Monday with no material and Saturday when you have 90 minutes? Some of that stuff is going to suck, some of it's going to be great, and some of it might not work. And that's been the case since the very beginning. For all the people who wear the rose-colored glasses and say the sentence that this show is named after, this podcast is named over, 
that show hasn't been funny in years. Um, you know, you're living, you're living in a fantasy world. You're wearing rose-colored glasses because if you go back and you watch the first seasons of that show in the 70s with, you know, the incredible original cast with your Belushis and your Ackroyds and your Garrett Morris, your Lorraine Newman, your Chevy Chase, your Gilda Radner, um, your Jane Curtin. You go back and you watch those. They had as many dud sketches as every other cast member did to go on. Those shows sucked just as much as they were good. Anybody who thinks everything they did in the 70s was glorious and all the other cast members were better and it hasn't been funny in years, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. The show has been hit and miss since the beginning. Go back and watch some of those shows from the 70s. There are as many shitty sketches as there are good sketches. So don't wear the rose-colored glasses. And the reason I wanted to call this podcast That Show Hasn't Been Good in Years is to prove that sentence wrong and to let people who say that sentence know that they're dumb. So anyway, that's why it's called what it is. And uh, this uh, podcast is going to consist of, uh, we, sometimes we'll have guests, sometimes we won't. I don't have a guest today on the very first podcast. We'll have guests from SNL. I've got, I, I, I've got a list of people that I'm going to be uh, inviting on the show who had worked on SNL, both in front of the camera and behind the camera. I've got my friends who are going to be on, uh, who, and we're just going to reminisce about uh, what they loved about SNL and their favorite sketches and all that kind of stuff. We are going to talk about people in the comedy world, writers and performers and people who were on stage and people in TV and people in films, and how SNL affected them, how it influenced them, and what specifically about SNL they love. So we're going to talk with guests and friends and comedy people. Um, we're going to talk about the best and worst of Saturday Night Live in terms of hosts and cast and cast members we're going to talk about behind the scenes stories how historically significant certain episodes were and certain things that happened um we're going to talk about the good the bad the classic the forgotten 48 years of my insane knowledge of snl is going to be brought out while we do this podcast so i thank you for checking it out and uh strap in because i've got a lot of ridiculous snl knowledge and that's what this podcast is all about uh, so, uh, why don't we start here with, uh, with episode number one and episode number one, uh, you know, one of my friends were like, yes, you should do an SNL podcast, Nick, because you won't shut the hell up about SNL. You know, when people start talking about SNL, I always feel the need to dive in and either correct them when they're saying something that's historically inaccurate or tell them what episode a certain sketch was on or where it came from or blah, blah, blah. And people were like, look, just in, in stop, you know invading our conversations. Why don't you just do your own goddamn thing? Do a podcast and tell everybody what you know about SNL and, and enlighten us. <laughs> they did, basically did that to have me shut up. So anyway, that's what this podcast is about. And I, and, and when they were, I told them what my, I told a lot of my friends what the very first um, episode would be about. And they were like, well, we think you're nuts because I'm taking on one specific sketch and again, some of these episodes of this podcast are going to be about we, you know, one season, one episode, one uh, uh, cast entirely, sometimes about one sketch. And my very first episode here of this podcast um, is, um, is about this. <laughs> you don't take people's potato chips. <laughs> you don't take people's potato chips. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> this entire episode is about the potato chip sketch. Now, for those people who might not know the potato chip sketch, if you do, you do. If you, do, you know what I mean? If you know, you know. You know that whole, uh, that whole thing that you see all over uh, online and everything. The potato chip sketch, to me, uh, is one of my favorite sketches in the history of SNL. Maybe my favorite. I'm not really sure. 
and one of the funniest sketches in the history of SNL and absolutely one of the fucking weirdest sketches in the history of SNL. Um, and that, let me explain very quickly. Um, this was a 1250 sketch. And for people who don't know what a 1250 sketch is, a 1250 sketch indicates 10 to 1 Eastern time. So 1250 a.m., meaning 10 minutes left in the show. The 1250 sketch is where they usually put stuff that tanked during dress rehearsal uh, that didn't work, or usually the cast members that pe- that Lauren likes or the head writer likes, uh, but the sketch that they came up with is really fucking weird and won't work. They put it in the 1250 slot. The 1250 sketch is the sketch that you will see at the end of the show where most of the people in charge think, well, everybody's drunk at this point or they've turned off the show. The second musical performance is done. Uh, they're asleep or whatever. And nobody's really, they think, Lauren and everybody, the 1250 sketches when people uh, have given up or they don't watch or they don't care or they're not paying attention. So the 1250 sketch is relegated, sketches are relegated to the 1250 sketch when they bomb in dress or they're really, really fucking weird. So 1250 sketch, when you hear the term 1250 sketch, that means it was too weird for the rest of the show, for the top of the show when everybody's watching. Let's put it at the end of the show when no one's watching. So the potato chip sketch was a 1250 sketch, not surprisingly, because um, it's weird. And sometimes 1250 sketches, and I'm going to do a whole episode uh, dedicated to 1250 sketches that actually became incredibly popular. Uh, they were dumped in the 1250 slot because Lauren's like, well, this is stupid. It's weird. It bombed. It's so goddamn weird. We have to just dump it into the 1250 sketch. That would be 1150 Central for those of you who are, uh, who are getting uh, technical about it. But the 1250 sketch. But some of those sketches that were dumped into that time period actually became classics. Huge. And I'll do a whole episode dedicated to 1250 sketches that actually became, you know, 1140 sketches at some point. But this one did not. This did not <laughs> take off. Uh, and become anything. It did not inspire uh, movies. It did not do that. Um, it's the potato chip sketch, and it aired on December 5th, 2009. The host was Blake Lively. The musical guest was Rihanna, and that show is actually um, remembered for a couple of things. Speaking of Rihanna, there was actually a lawsuit filed because of that show, uh, an interesting show. December 5th, 2009, Blake Lively was, was the host. It was a solid show. There were a lot of good sketches. Uh, there was a controversial sketch, um, because they did a sketch at that time, Tiger Woods was being sued by his wife, um, and there was that, the whole thing about him being beaten by his wife, and they did a wacky press conference thing where Keenan was dressed up like Tiger Woods, and it was a very controversial sketch, and people were mad about it. But it was a pretty solid, uh, pretty solid show, uh, pretty good laughs in it. Blake Lively did a really nice job hosting, and again, the musical guest was Rihanna. But it's specifically not only was the potato chip sketch on there. But also, Shy Ronnie was on there, one of the digital shorts, one of the great digital shorts that the Lonely Island guys, led by Andy Samberg, uh, did. And Andy Samberg did this thing called Shy Ronnie, where he played like a shy rapper who did a song with Rihanna, and they did a digital short. Uh, but then a, a lawsuit came about because of that. Shy Ronnie caused a lawsuit, and uh, Rick the Ruler, whose real name is uh, uh, Alaric Banks, Monique Hines claimed that they did the music for Shy Ronnie. Uh, And there was a lawsuit. I don't know if it was ever, uh, this was a long time ago. I don't know if it was ever settled. I'm not really sure what happened. But I know that there was a lawsuit um, that was filed because of Shirani. And that episode, or I'm sorry, that bit, the Shirani bit, actually aired on the same episode, December 5th, 2009, when the potato chip sketch uh, started. The potato chip sketch was uh, 
brought to life by Will Forte. Will Forte, who is one of my favorite cast members in the history of SNL. Uh, one of the reasons why I love Will Forte so much is because he's just fearless um, and he's crazy. Like, he's nuts. And if you know him from any of the movies that he's done, if you know him from Last Man on Earth, if you know him from the stuff that he's done on SNL, some of the most memorable characters and some of the most memorable bits that he's did, like the Falconer and MacGruber, and MacGruber, which became a movie, um, Will Forte was, was and still is crazy. And he did very weird sketches that were off the beaten path. And a lot of sketches and a lot of characters that he played were a lot of head scratchers. Like people would watch it and go, well, who is this? Will, what is this character that he's doing? What is this? What, what is this sketch at a spelling bee where a kid is spelling a word with 75 letters in it? What the hell? And why is Jack Black coming out and singing during? Anyway, I can go on and on and on about Will Forte and how goddamn weird he is. And his writing partner, for the most part, when he worked on SNL, is a guy named John Solomon who would go on to co-write things like The Brother Solomon, a movie that he did with Will Arnett, which is hilarious and also really fucking weird. And as J- John Solomon had a hand in the writing of uh, the, the, the Peacock series of MacGruber and the movie, which is brilliant, of MacGruber. And, and any of the weird shit that Will Forte wrote, John Solomon was there with him. So Forte wanted to, to write a sketch about how pissed he was because someone ate all the potato chips. So he wanted to write a sketch about that. And then he wanted to incorporate, because he's Will Forte, he wanted to incorporate NASA because he loves NASA and he loves space. And he wanted to incorporate Southern Gothic characters. So this is how this is how Will Forte's mind works. He comes up with a sketch because he was mad that someone ate all the potato chips. He was pissed because he really had a taste for a potato chip and they were gone. And so he wanted to combine that anger about somebody eating all of his potato chips with the fact that he loved Southern Gothic characters and NASA. So this is how the brain of Will Forte works. He doesn't work like you and I. He's not a regular guy. He's not a normal dude who goes from A to B to C. He goes from A to Z, back to D, back to 2, to 20, to Z, to Z, to whatever. He's on a different world. He's in a different world. And John Solomon, his you know co-writer and partner, Uh, He brought the idea to him, and they both wrote the sketch. And um, Will presented the sketch to Jason Sudeikis. And Jason Sudeikis and, and, and Will Forte, they were really good friends, and they worked really, really well together on the show. And uh, he brought it to Sudeikis, and Sudeikis loved it when he read it. And Sudeikis was like, I got some ideas about the character. Uh, can I make the character more crazy? Can I, can I, because he did a, he did a, uh, an imitation of George Kennedy when Gerard Butler was a host, and um, they did a, a, a Cool Hand Luke takeoff. And, um, and Sudeikis played like the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the warden uh, in the sketch and was kind of doing a weird George Kennedy takeoff. Um, and he thought he would combine it with that and Colonel Sanders. And he's like, oh, I love this. Can I do like a really exaggerated Southern thing? And he loved the idea of it being Southern Gothic. And, uh, and he came up with the end of the sketch and he brought in the hemorrhoid donut that the character had. So Sudeikis added a bunch of stuff. And they worked really, really well together. You know, they had a great rapport together. I have a couple of clips here that I want to play from stuff that they did together. Um, you know, where they worked incredibly well together. So the first, the first thing that I wanted to bring up, like they had this sort of thing that they did constantly where um, Will Forte would play the smiley dipshit. And uh, Jason Sudeikis would play the alpha male. Like, he would always correct uh, 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 Will Forte, who would play like this, in another world, smiling dipshit. 
And they did that a lot. That was sort of their chemistry was he was alpha. Jason Sudeikis was alpha male and, uh, and Will Forte was smiling dipshit. And they did a bunch of stuff like that. Like one of my favorites was they did this uh, John Bon Jovi cover band, but it was opposite uh, John Bon Jovi uh, cover band. They were called uh, John Bovi instead of Bon Jovi. They were John Bovi. And here's a quick, they, again, smiling dipshit Forte, alpha male Sudeikis. And they used to do it on, uh, on Update. Here's a quick. Hey, I'm sorry, guys. What exactly is a Bon Jovi opposite band? Is that like a Bon Jovi cover band? No. No, if you like Bon Jovi, you would want a cover band. If you hate Bon Jovi, you want us. Yeah, we hate Bon Jovi. <laughs> yeah, we couldn't be further from Bon Jovi. But you dress like them and you call yourselves John Bovi. Yeah. Yeah, well, the similarities end there, Myers. Check this. Two, three, four. No, 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 it's three separate numbers. Three separate numbers, okay? Okay, got it. You got, got it? it. Okay, ready? <laughs> All right, here we go. Two, three, four, because I'm an Indian. Indian! On a cotton horse I do not ride, and I'm unwanted. Unwanted! Alive and dead. Alive and dead. Alive and dead. Boom! Yeah, you get the idea. So they worked well together, and they had a weird chemistry. Uh, so here's, a, here's another one. This, this was one of my favorite things. This is when um, they played, uh, uh, Sudeikis played Pete Twinkle, and, uh, and Will Forte played Greg Stink. And they were ESPN commentators, and they mostly covered ESPN 2 or 3 channel when they would do very strange female-related sports with very weird sponsors. And here's one of the classic uh, ESPN guys when they were Pete Twinkle and Greg Stewart. I don't, I don't know what's going on. Well, he can't hear us. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Greg. <laughs> Greg Stink, there's not a finer person. And hey, there's not a finer product than stay-free maxi pads when your uterine lining looks like the elevator from The Shining. <laughs> Okay, so <laughs> I just wanted to play that. That's one of my favorite punchlines of that. And they, by the way, that long pause was them taking, just looking directly into the camera after that payoff of the Stay Free Maxi Pads bit. So anyway, they had a chemistry together, and so they decided they were going to do it. So they brought it to the table read. And at this time, Seth Meyers, uh, when Potato Chip was pitched, Seth Meyers was the uh, head writer. And Seth loved, um, had loved him. Uh, and loved uh, 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 Will Forte and would say stuff like, I don't know, you know, he, he was quoted as saying like, look, I, at this point in my relationship with him, um, I didn't, he was, he was, he was very weird and very funny. And I just, it, the only thing that you could explain about Will Forte was that he's just Will. So he's like, yeah, okay, let's do it. So they did it at the table read in the original uh, time. They, it was written on November 4th, 2009. It was very, very late at night when they wrote it at, you know, one of the very long writing sessions. Uh, that that they have on SNL, where they you know they 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 stay in the offices, they don't sleep, they're there for like you know thirty seven hours straight writing and trying to get stuff done. So this was written very late at night. They were all kind of bleary eyed when it was written, and the original uh, time it was actually supposed to air was when Taylor Swift was the host, and the first table read was November fourth, two thousand nine. They pitched it to Taylor Swift, and Taylor Swift loved it. She thought it was a great idea. They read it at the table read, and um. 
you know, it's funny because like Seth Meyers thought it was really weird, but Taylor Swift really liked it. And when the host likes it, Lauren will say, okay, even if he doesn't understand it. And Lauren did not understand the potato chip sketch at all. Lauren doesn't understand. Lauren didn't understand 95% of what Will Forte and John Solomon would write. But if the host likes it, it has a tendency to get on. You know, it's like, okay, Taylor Swift likes it. Cool. She's the host. We have to serve the host. That's the idea is that the writers and the cast and the show and Lauren, they serve the host. They try to make the host look the best that they can. She loved the sketch. So they read it at table read and Will Forte, again, uh, has been known to jump up on the table and scream things. And he did. And it went well. And Taylor Swift really liked it. And then on November 7, 2009, when it was supposed to air, they did it in dress. Um, and uh, Taylor Swift played it differently than Blake Lively would play it. Blake Lively played it more dour, more Southern Gothic. And uh, according to Jason Sudeikis, she played it more like Marilyn Monroe and Bus Stop. Uh, and it didn't work in dress, and it got cut before the show. And that happens. You know, uh, you know it happens. You pitch a sketch. It doesn't go very well during dress, uh, and it gets cut from the live show. And that's what happened to Potato Chip on uh, November 7, 2009. So they put it on the back burner. But Will Forte and John Solomon and Sudeikis really wanted to do it, and Seth Meyer kept convincing Lauren that they should do it. So the week that Blake Lively came in in 2009, they pitched it again to Blake Lively, and Blake Lively loved it. And so they did it at they did it at, at the, did the table read, and it went well. And they did it at dress rehearsal, and it went well, and it went really, really well and very weird. And um, Forte jumped up on a table and started screaming. He blew his voice out during rehearsal, during dress rehearsal which made them cut a few things out of the live version of it. It's about uh, the, the dress rehearsal version is about three minutes longer than the, uh, the version that ended up on live television. Uh, and uh, it, it got the reaction that it, that it should have gotten. Now, essentially, uh, Jason Sudeikis plays this crazy sort of Southern character who goes into the, who's in the NASA office being interviewed by the NASA chief to become a NASA uh, uh, a, an astronaut. And so uh, Will Forte tells Jason Sudeikis to not eat the potato chips, any of the potato chips that are on the table. There's a big bowl of potato chips on the table. And when uh, Will Forte leaves the office, this is what the whole sketch is about. He leaves the office to get his application to become an astronaut. And when he comes back, he finds that Jason Sudeikis has indeed eaten one potato chip and brings in his assistant, Janelda, played by Blake Lively, and they scream at, J at Jason Sudeikis to admit that he ate the potato chip. They scream at him. They go nuts. They jump on the table. They point at him. They hit him. And they go completely over the top, screaming ape shit nuts, just ripping this guy to shreds about eating the potato chip. And when he admits that he eats the potato chip, they say he can't be an astronaut. He's blacklisted. He'll never be an astronaut. And the, the, Will Forte makes Jason Sudeikis return the potato chip to him. So he does that by regurgitating the potato chip up in his hand. And then at the end, there's a very sad moment where, they, they, where Janelda and Will Forte's character are trying to figure out why people do that. That's the whole sketch. It makes no sense. There is no reason why these crazy Southern Gothic characters, over-the-top, you know, uh, Colonel Sanders kind of characters that they would play, they would be running NASA. It doesn't look like NASA. It looks like a weird Southern, you know, uh, small office. And, uh, and Blake Lively plays the character very strangely. It's in another universe. So, um, so some, of the, some of the stuff that, we, that I want to play here. So um, here's the... Uh, Here's the, one of the first things in when, when, when Sudeikis is in the office uh, being interviewed by uh, Will Forte, and Will Forte is going to get the application so that this Southern gentleman can become an astronaut. Now, before I go 
I'm gonna ask that you don't take any of these potato chips here. Because mm -hmm. I'm super hungry. Okay? So I'm gonna go into the other room and I'm gonna expect you to not touch any of those potato chips. Your potato chips are safe in my presence. Yeah. So uh, and so he does, like I said, he does eat the potato chips. He eats one potato chip. And when he comes back, he realizes that. Uh, Will Forte realizes that and is angry and just doesn't figure it out and calls in Janelda, uh, his, his secretary, to find out, uh, you know, if indeed this guy did eat the potato chip. And here's Blake Lively coming in uh, as well. Um, here we go. Janelda, what would you say if I told you that that man right there is nothing but a common potato chip thief? What? You have no right. No right. I did not come here to have my reputation assassinated. Then you shouldn't have taken that potato chip. You don't take people's potato chips. But I did nothing of the sort. That is between you and your God. Now get the hell out of here. I'm not going nowhere until I'm an astronaut. Right. So uh, that's that, that's that's the the essentially what starts and then it continues. You are blacklisted. Blacklist him. Blacklist him. No. You will never be an astronaut. You don't take people's potato chips. You will never stroll the moon in a puppy suit. Don't say it. You will never drink tea. Take it back. You will never pee in the absence of gravity. You don't take people's potato chips. But I didn't take that chip. You, sir, are a liar. I am not a liar. liar. No, I'm not. Liar. No, I'm not. Liar. I'm not. So he admits he took it, and then he regurgitates the chip up. And so that's basically the sketch. If you've seen it, you know it. Um, the response to it was very, very strange, uh, obviously. When it was happening, because if you don't know this, Lauren Michaels actually sits in a chair. He's got his own spot, like, right on the side of the stage where you can see everything that's happening. The set changes. He comes out and helps out sometimes. He'll watch. He's got TV monitors in front of him watching everything. And while the sketch was happening... Uh, this is what Seth Meyers said. This is a quote from Seth Meyers. He said, when it was airing, I was in Lauren's office and I grabbed a Writer's Guild Award off of Lauren's shelf and I walked down to the floor where Lauren was and when they walked off after the sketch, I took the Writer's Guild Award and I said, hey, this already showed up and I handed it to Lauren because everybody was like, what is this? What the fuck is this? Nobody knew what to make of it. The crowd was very weird about it. Um, and, and incidentally, I do want to mention this. The version that you get now when you Google it or when you YouTube it is the dress rehearsal version. Now, I don't know why this is the case. I think it's because John Solomon and Will Forte preferred that version, and it's longer. But you basically can't get the live version, the version that live that aired live that night on uh, December 5th, 2009. You can only get the dress rehearsal, which is about two and a half, three minutes longer and weirder, and I don't think quite as funny. Uh, but I knew that sketch by heart, and one time I was looking it up online, um, after about a year and a half or two that it had been available online, and then suddenly I couldn't find the actual live version. So when you Google this sketch, and I expect you to do that because it's brilliant, it's awesome, it's insane, it's surreal, um, the only version of it that you can get, you can't get the live version. You can only get the dress rehearsal. Unless you dig, or if you're, you know, I mean, you know, I don't know, if you're Matthew Broderick from War Games, maybe you can find it. But me, I'm just a, you know, I'm a dunce who doesn't have a lot of technical prowess. 
Uh, that's the only version you can get is the dress rehearsal for it. And it's brilliant, and it represents everything that's insane and great about it and about the, you know, the great writing style and performance insanity of Will Forte and John Solomon. Uh, so it's great, and it's awesome, and, you know, and I'm glad it exists. But the live version has been hidden, and I think it's because that they want the, the dress rehearsal version, which was longer, and I think more in tune with the original concept that they had. And the concept was to become very, very sort of Southern Gothic. And the final moment of this sketch is uh, Jason Sudeikis taking his hemorrhoid donut and leaving. Uh, and uh, so uh, let, me, let me play that part. Well, it certainly did not end the way I had imagined it in my undry dreams. <laughs> so I will collect my hemorrhoid donut <laughs> and bid you adieu. Mr. Greenblatt, why do people do things like that? Because they're hungry, Janilda. Because they're hungry. Okay, so, and that's the end of the sketch. And I think the, I think the crowd was like, what are we applauding for? This is the weirdest thing of it. And the very end, because they're hungry, Janilda, because they're hungry ends with this beautiful, weird tableau where it's uh, uh, Will Forte in the front, uh, Blake Lively behind him, and, and outside a window, a desk outside of the office window with uh, vertical blinds is Jason Sudeikis with the hemorrhoid donut under his arm. And they both look, they all three look at the camera very, very dramatically and very Southern Gothic, very, very Tennessee Williams-like. And they ended on this serious... Tennessee Williams, look into the camera tableau, very Southern Gothic and very, very serious. And it's fucking brilliant. So I don't know what to say about this sketch, except that I love it. It is out there. It is weird. It makes me laugh harder than many sketches in the history of SNL. When I first watched it, my ex-wife and I, Heather, were watching it. And when it was over, I was like, what the hell was that? And we rewound it, probably watched it five times in a row. Um, uh, Just like a lot of the great stuff that Will Forte does, uh, and did for the show. It was strange. It was out there, and it appe- it, it appealed to me. Um, as years have gone by, it's gained traction. When it first aired, people didn't know what to make of it. They thought it was like, what the hell is this? It was a typical insane, didn't work, what the fuck is this 1250 sketch that gets dismissed 90% of the time. But over the years, it's gained traction. And over the years, this sketch uh, has become a fan favorite, which is why I'm kicking off this podcast with this, because it's been a fan favorite. I've talked to people over the years who are like, oh my God, do you remember the potato chip sketch? And for that sketch to, um, you know, when it aired on December 5th, 2009, nobody was like, everybody was like, what the hell was that? Oh my God, it made no sense. It was the stupidest thing I've ever seen. It made no sense. What, NASA, Southern people? What, Tennessee Williams, huh? People, potato chip, throwing up a potato chip back into a guy's hand. What the fuck was that? But then years have gone by, and as many things do, it gained traction, and now people love it. They think it's a masterpiece of surreal comedy, which is what it is. It is one of the best surrealistic sketches that has the, in the history of SNL. And it's all because of Will Forte. It's all because of John Solomon. It's all because Jason Sudeikis added a bunch of crazy stuff. The, the, the tableau thing was his idea. The hemorrhoid donut was his idea. And then he kind of continued to do that, uh, that character, by the way. If you, if you remember the sketch's main justice... Uh, that they did, which was this weird sketch where a a, a a whole court full of a judge and a plaintiff and, and, and a courtroom full of people, they all seem to be from Louisiana, but somehow they're, they're in Maine. 
And everybody in the room is from Louisiana and has these weird sort of over-the-top Southern, very stereotypical accents, except for the plaintiff, who is usually Bobby Moynihan. And uh, this was Maine Justice, and the judge on Maine Justice was essentially exactly the same character that Sudeikis played in Potato Chip. So if you look up the Maine Justice sketches, which are out there, and again, all this stuff is YouTubeable. Go to SNL.com, go to NBC.com. All of these sketches are out there. If you go back and you look up Maine Justice, which they did, I believe, four times, and the one that they did with, uh, well, by the way, the one they did with Jamie Foxx was the funniest one by far, where Jamie Foxx loses it. Um, and it's hilarious. And Charlie Day shows up. So it was kind of a mini reunion of horrible bosses with Sadek as Jamie Foxx and, uh, and Charlie Day. So go back and watch that one. But the episode with, um, uh, 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 with uh, Justin Timberlake, where he played the bailiff, that's where at the very end of the episode, it's a little Easter egg for us fans of Potato Chip. Because at the end of that episode, or at the end of that sketch, Main Justice sketch with, Jason, uh, with uh, Justin Timberlake, Sudeikis gets up to leave um, the courtroom and he picks up the hemorrhoid donut and walks out with it. And only the big potato chip maniacs would recognize it. Um, so over the years, I've talked to people about the potato chip sketch. My ex-wife loved it uh, at the time. I loved it from the moment I saw it. But like other weird things, it took a little while for people to love it. And now they do. And uh, this is a clip from um, Watch What Happens Live. Jason Sudeikis was on uh, Watch What Happens Live um, and talking about, uh, about, well, you'll hear. Dodger Foodie wants to know, Jason, which of your SNL sketches made you laugh the most? Um, I really loved uh, this sketch that Will Forte and his buddy John Solomon wrote called Potato Chip. It's like a Tennessee Williams play, and we did it with... Uh, with um, Blake Lively, uh-huh. and uh, and she was fantastic. First one we did with Taylor Swift. Swifty couldn't get it over the the goal line, but then uh, Blake Lively brought it home. Yeah. And and ever since that, I've always viewed Taylor Swift as an absolute failure. Yes. Yes. I don't know what she does right, but whatever it is, it's it's certainly not skits. Well, why couldn't she bring it over the the goal line? You know, I think it's just the weird. You know, just the the show, the the timing of it. You know, mm-hmm. like it happens for whatever reason it happens. Right. But she probably had a ton of other great things, and she also probably had to save her voice because she was right. singing as well. Me, Blake, and Will, we don't have to sing, so we can just go. act the hell she out of a scene and then leave it there. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, and, you know, again, that was just a few years ago. And so many years later, Sudeikis' favorite sketch that made him laugh. Um, and, uh, and, and again, as you'll find out, and as you, if you, if you, you know, it's very interesting to see how many sketches have been tried uh, in different places and you know, with different hosts and didn't work. Like, it's really interesting that, that the way that J- that uh, Sudeikis talks about how Taylor Swift played it completely differently, and it just didn't work uh, that night. Um, but it somehow worked the night they did it. Uh, my friend Steve Procopi, who you can hear on my other podcast, the Nick D Podcast, um, every other week uh, reviewing movies, uh, he also interviews a lot, of, uh, a lot of actors and writers and directors and stuff like that. Um, and uh, he did an interview with, um, with Will Forte, uh, about uh, the MacGruber movie a few years back. And uh, Steve contacted me and said, hey, I know that you're doing a, a whole episode on the potato chip sketch. I brought it up during an interview that I did with Will Forte. So here is Steve, our buddy Steve Procopi, who you can hear regularly on the Nick D podcast, interviewing uh, Will Forte. Now, it's a little loud because I guess this was in the lobby of a like a hotel or a restaurant bar or something. And uh, it was one of those deals where Steve only had like 10 or 15 minutes to talk to, to this person. And he wanted to wrap up the conversation 
uh, by bringing up the potato chip sketch. And here's an interesting little tidbit uh, that I wanted to share with you. So this is my buddy, Steve Procopi. And again, it's pretty loud, a little hard to hear. You might have to strain your ears a little bit because it's it, the background is kind of loud. But here's Steve Procopi talking with Will Forte. Uh, the, the, the sketch you did when Blake Lively was on, the potato chip oh. sketch, it's just you guys saying that word a hundred different ways. When Yorma last night said you could say the same line a hundred different ways, that's what came to mind. That that's something that you do really well, I think, on Oh, it's just like much. just saying it different way each time to the point where it just like makes your mind hurt. But that potato chip thing, I don't know why it, it makes me laugh. Oh like it just it cracked me up. Thank you very much. We we uh, John and I, John Norma and John and I yeah. all wrote the movie together. John and I wrote the potato chips. Yeah. Stuff. So uh, the fact that it's set when it's set and that everyone's dressed the way they're dressed, it makes no sense. What's I was, it, but it feels like an old school. Like now, I know you were uh, you're a Groundlings guy, but like I'm in Chicago, it feels like a second skin city sketch to me. I was I like, couldn't believe they let us they let us do it. We had the best time. I think I think there was a real some people. Uh, I'm sure there were a lot of people who it was such a weird sketch. There were probably a lot of people who yeah hated hated that. But if you <laughs> but but. Uh, but oh man, we had a great time doing it. Like, a, uh, and Jason Sudeikis had these, you know, the final shot, uh, that dramatic shot. It seemed like a <laughs> Tennessee Williams, uh, yeah. like, like the with me in the, in the foreground, and then Blake right behind me, yes. and Jason in the window with yeah. his hemorrhoid donut. Yes, he had that uh, made into a playbill. <laughs> <laughs> it was the what a dumb sketch, and I can't. But I, oh, we just and it's not so like characters you'd ever do that. Yeah, it's not like characters you'd ever bring back. It's just like this one little perfect sketch that, like, oh man, I'm glad you liked it. Wow, I'm, I'm no, it's so. Well, in the, in the in the Saturday Night documentary that's here, that they have that showing you with Malkovich doing that. Um, Oh, the entire carpet carpets. thing where you're just saying wait again oh. again again it's like yeah you just you just keep pounding and pounding until you can't oh, help man. but laugh at it so oh. anyway anyway I, I think we're done here I'm, I'm, I'm getting into some like fanboy territory yeah uh, anyway thank you Steve for that yeah it's true um, it is exceedingly weird. And right there, Will Forte, I can't believe they let me do that. And that was said about a lot of the stuff that Will Forte did. He mentioned in that sketch that, uh, or in that interview with Steve, uh, that uh, Jason Sudeikis did have playbills, like Broadway playbills made up with that picture. And if you watch the sketch, and I suggest you do, the final image of those three, that tableau, they did make it into a... Uh, into a playbill, which he handed out, and they've kept as souvenirs. A whole bunch of people have kept as souvenirs. Tara Donnelly, who is the uh, graphics in the graphics department at SNL, does all the graphics for SNL. She said, yeah, hell yeah, I'll do it. So she made up a whole bunch of fake Broadway playbills <laughs> with the potato chip sketch and that tableau of those three standing there. And over the years, it has gained traction. People have loved it. Uh, Seth Meyers talks about how someone sent, um, Seth Meyers says, somebody sent a four-page single-spaced letter with very fa- small font um, uh, that immediately looked like it was written by a lunatic. And then Sudeika says they broke this whole thing down. They were citing Nichols and May, Monty Python, to the point where Seth Myers just assumed that Will and John wrote it because it was so complimentary and it was so insanely inside baseball. Uh, and Seth said it was a deep analysis of potato chips, one of the greatest sketches that's ever been written on SNL. It paid tribute to so many other things. 
And it was it was such an incredible fan letter. Again, you know, like single spaced, small font, written by it looked like it was written by a lunatic. That Seth Meyers and Lorne Michaels thought that it was actually written by Will Forte and John Solomon as a joke, but it wasn't. Um, it was a real fan. So, and I think that pretty much sums it up. Um, a lunatic comparing it to Nichols and May and Monty Python, which are apt comparisons, actually. It's very, very, very Monty Python-like. And a lot of the weird surrealist shit that John Solomon and Will Forte did are very Monty Python-influenced. Um, but yeah, that sums it up. Fans of, that, uh, of the potato chip sketch, the people that love it as much as I do, uh, are prone to write very weird five-letter, five-letter, uh, five, I'm sorry, five-page letters in single-space, small font, analyzing this weird sketch. So we're weirdos. The people who love the potato chip sketch are weirdos, and that's who I was appealing to here on the first episode. Again, it aired on December 5th, 2009. Blake Lively was the host. Rihanna was the musical guest. Shirani made an appearance on that one. There were other really good sketches on it as well. Check it out. Just Google. Go to your YouTubes and go Potato Chip Sketch SNL, and you will find it. Again, uh, almost impossible to find the actual live uh, version of it, the, the version that aired live, but you will most likely get the, uh, the, the rehearsal version, the dress rehearsal version. Either way, it's great, it's insane, and it came from the idea that Will Forte was like, man, somebody took all the potato chips, and one of the most legendary, most surrealistic, and weirdest sketches in the history of SNL came from Will Forte, not eating potato chips that he wanted to eat. So anyway, uh, that's it. That's the potato chip sketch. And that's the first episode here of, um, of that show. Uh, hasn't been funny in years. Uh, please, uh, I want to thank uh, Ed and everybody at Radio Misfits. I want to thank Jason Skaggs for the great opening theme and the great closing theme. And I want to thank you. Spread the word. Uh, every episode will be about SNL in so many different ways. And we're going to have a great time with it. And check out the potato chip sketch, which you can see everywhere. I'm Nick DiGilio. Thanks for listening. Good night and have a pleasant tomorrow. <laughs>